0: What's cool about improvisational music and the genre that we love is you're kind of letting go. You're letting go and letting these musicians create and craft something new on stage that they don't even know what they're going to do. So your mind kind of releases this idea of what is the world is supposed to be, and you're just kind of accepting what is. I think those are the coolest moments where you' you're not looking for the, a band to do something a certain way. It's when they wow you with something that's new unexpected but also tasteful and delightful and beautiful and you know in all the different various ways.
1: Here we are today on the podcast. We've got Kunj Shah. So for everyone out there listening, Kunj is the founder of Live for Live Music. Puts on the Comes Alive Festival series. They've got Fool's Paradise coming up. Just had days between. You know, Brooklyn comes alive. Democracy comes alive. Denver comes alive. Kunj, welcome to the show, my man. Pumped to have you here. How is Jazz Fest?
0: Jazz Fest is great. Um, I like to... know i went in a little nervous it's been three years since you know we've been down in new orleans for jazz fest it was uh you know i made a lot of life changes since then you know i've become sober in that time um just not you know i haven't we haven't been going to as many shows as we have you know we as we were before the pandemic and you know jazz fest is a it's a intense marathon you know and we put on 10 different shows at Jazz Fest or during the late night series. So I was a little bit nervous to go in, you know, going into Jazz Fest. But as soon as we got down to New Orleans, you know, it was just, it felt like, you know, homecoming, you know, that's New Orleans is a city where we get, you know, probably most of our inspiration for all of our events. And it's a city that's like near and dear to my heart. Um, I got married in New Orleans. Me and my wife really started to like, hang out in New Orleans eight years ago at Jazz Fest. Um, you know, the, the city's definitely holds a special place in our heart and definitely inspires us and you know fills up our cup from time to time. It's been three years since that's happened and I forgot what that felt like until we went back down there.
1: Brimming with life down there, for sure. <laughs> so starting this off, Kunch, a, a good portion of our listeners are artists themselves. Musicians, up-and-coming bands. I want to talk about music industry and marketing. Generally speaking, my first question here, let's say, uh, for example, your niece or, or younger cousin, uh, we're asking your advice on pursuing music as a career and not just a hobby, as a musician. Just generally speaking, what kind of advice do you think you'd give them?
0: Um, as a musician? I mean, I'd say... Put in the time, um, you know, definitely put in the time with when it comes to practice, um, go to shows. go to as much live music as you can interact with the musicians, you know, talk, talk to, you know, talk to people behind the scenes and just be present in in all things live music. Don't spend your time cooped up at home, you know, just playing your instrument, thinking I'm going to, you know. Be huge one day. You want to go out and kind of interface with other people, see how they're doing it, hear their stories, you know, see where they're coming from, find out where their journeys left, left um, led them. I mean, everyone has a different uh, path to success, mild success, or what they consider success. And it's, it's always good to hear that from other people before you know um, pursuing that full time.
1: Can you talk to me about some of the things you admire most about your favorite artists, both in terms of their approach to music, but also their approach to to marketing and their brand?
0: Well, uh, in terms of their approach to music, I'm a big fan of improvisational music. and, And to this day, it still blows my mind when I see some of my favorite musicians and friends just compose on the spot, not only for themselves, or while interacting with each other in a way that's just so tasteful and beautiful. And um, it, it really blows my mind. Um, marketing. I mean, you know, that's, that's a tough one because I feel like when you follow all the rules, it doesn't go, it doesn't work out, you know, right? Like, and that if you don't follow all the rules, it also doesn't work out. And then you have a band that like, Wolfpack that comes out of nowhere and does their own marketing and makes their own videos and, you know, dresses up Madison square garden, like it's their own home living room and sells that out. And they don't play any shows. They play like two shows a year or one show a year, which you would consider, you know, not a traditional strategy for a touring band. You would want to, you know, as a former manager of, you know, multiple bands, I would tell these bands, all right, you want to make sure you hit, these A-list markets, you know, the Bostons, the New York cities, the Denver's, and then, you know, hit them in the fall. And then maybe in the spring, you go to some of the, maybe the West coast or some of the college towns, and you want to make sure that you're hitting all the right spots. And then, you know, that's supposed to be the model that works. And then some bands just come in and, you know, something goes viral. their, their strategy of saying no to playing multi, uh, a, a bunch of gigs somehow works for them. And then for some people, it doesn't. So there's no, I mean, if you figure out on one of these interviews what, what the best marketing strategy is for a band, let me know and we can become millionaires together.
1: I've I've heard on these interviews, it's it's buying one of those live for live music promotional packages. I thought that was the secret.
0: (laughs) No, I mean, we do a lot of different marketing. We do marketing for a lot of different shows and promoters and stuff. And, you know, that helps. But um, there's no rhyme or reason um, when you're a, a band, you know, you could be a band. There's some bands that I've seen, you know, stop being bands in the past year that I thought had everything going for them. You know, they played late nights with, you know, on the late night television shows. They've toured, they have their own festival. Um, And it's sad to see, but you know, when you're kind of on the inside of it and as a former manager, you kind of see that, you know, what looks like success on the outside is far from it. You know, the, the grind is real up until you reach a certain level. And then the machine is so big that the grind is even bigger, you know? So it's, it's not for the weak heart of this industry. And I I just have a lot of respect for musicians who do this day in and day out with no, um, with no certainty of whether it's going to work out.
1: I'm curious to hear what you think are some things that are often overlooked or, or misunderstood by musicians early on in their career from a business perspective.
0: I think, You know, what's overlooked and misunderstood is, well, I think one thing that musicians do a lot is a, or human beings do a lot, is we compare ourselves to other bands. So when they've, or we've, you know, reached a place in life or our career where four years ago or three years ago or two years ago, we would have been like, wow, that this is amazing. I can't believe this is happening to me. We look you know, to the left and we look to the right and we see some people going ahead of us and we're like, oh, but why isn't this happening to me? And I see that all the time with bands and actually human beings in general. I know I do that myself where I'll be doing something that I dreamed of doing as a kid and I see someone else doing something bigger because there's always someone else doing something bigger. And I'm just like, well, why am I not doing that? And lately I've gotten better at appreciating what I do have. And I've seen, I think the pan through the pandemic, a lot of bands started to appreciate what they did have. you know, So when they're back out on the road, they're not looking as much to the left and to the right. They're just, you know of, uh, at other bands. They're just happy to be on stage playing music with their friends, you know, and I think an important thing that musicians often, you know, or, or people in the industry um, or artists sometimes don't realize is that you have to create your own idea of success, right? Success doesn't have to mean that you're the number one band in your genre, the number 10 band in your genre. You know, it could just mean that you could play different cities to a relatively um, interested fan base. You know, I've managed bands that have come; have, they've gotten to that level of feeling like that. That is success for them, and it's completely changed their entire mentality on you know going out and doing it day in and out. And the, the burnout starts to just fade away when that starts to happen.
1: Mm, I love that answer. So you know, talking generally about people, you know yourself. As as an entrepreneur, what about with up and coming business people that you've worked with throughout your career? What do you think's maybe often misunderstood or overlooked um, by by young professionals who you've worked with?
0: It, it doesn't all come at once, you know. Um, and once you're there, it doesn't mean that you're going to always hold on to it. Um, everything comes in waves, you know. You know, success, um, failure you know there's there's been points in the last you know 6 months where i thought things were going to shit and everything was awful and i don't know how i could sustain this and then there's been points in the last 6 months where i'm like things have never been better you know so you know just like life business is always going to take you on different rides of ups and downs where i think you know sometimes you just can't live in the highs and you can't hit live in the lows. You have to just understand that you're always going to, you know, experience both.
1: Mm. Which it's not always easy to take that, that higher perspective.
0: I mean, this is advice that I'm trying to give to myself as well.
1: Totally. So jumping a little bit to the side here, uh, let's talk about promoting a tour. What do you think are the key differences between mediocre marketing and promotion for a tour Uh, and really high-quality marketing and promotion for a tour?
0: Um, It's working with the right venues, the right promoters, um, making sure that the right marketing coordinators are working at the right venues, that, you know, if you're in management or, you know, if you're an artist, that you're actually, when you're doing a whole tour, that's a lot of different markets to cover that's a lot of different venues to interface with. That's a lot of different marketing coordinators. And each one of those coordinators is going to send you a different marketing plan. So just because they send you a plan doesn't mean that they're going to do all the things that they send you in the plan. Sometimes it's a generic plan that they send out to every artist, you know? So it's important for the artist or the manager or the team to have a constant line of communication with the um marketing coordinators at these venues and you know make make your promotion organic um you know learn to pivot see what's working what's not working you know where ad dollars are you know you're seeing a good return and where you're not um and always be asking them what if there's more that could be done even if a show is doing, you know, decent, you always want it to do better, right? So that when the next time you come in the market, you could either sell it out or play a bigger room. So there's always more you could be doing with marketing. I feel like there is no, you know, like Sarah, my wife runs the marketing for Whip Live Music. And, uh, you know, even if a show's at 80%, I'm always pushing to do more because we want to sell the show out.
1: I want to, I want to talk to you about, you know, looking back at Napster, Spotify, then um, we see NFTs, you know, all the money made in touring, but how that was upended with COVID and then live streaming, you know, everyone's, everyone's got this and that to say about how crypto will interface with music and Decentraland, whatever I want to hear from you like what direction do you see uh the music industry going and you know this is like an abstract kind of thing because all we have are these crystal balls um but like what trends are you really taking a hard look at these days a- and how do you see music and the music business shaping around the next 5, 10, 15 years?
0: I mean right now my focus is in on where it's going as opposed to like how it's coming back right because Every, you know i feel like i talk to everyday people who only frequent three or four concerts a a year and they're like oh yeah everything's back music you know tickets must be doing great across the board and you know they just think that the music industry is just fine now but in reality you know aside from a few acts you know that are really hot right now um Ticket sales across the board are like, I don't know, I would say about 20% down. Um, and then I'd say there's another con- weird, uh, not weird, but it's it, there's people who have bought tickets to concerts. It used to be about three to 5% wouldn't show up to the show. You know, you have a ticket sold and they just wouldn't show up, couldn't get a sitter, something random had happened. But now it's like a 15, 20% of people who actually even have tickets, haven't resold their tickets, but just haven't shown up to the shows. So we're seeing like this weird, you know, time in the music industry where concert tickets are, are not selling as well as they used to. Um, people are still nervous to go out. We still have a pandemic out there, but it's also transferring over to being an endemic. It's a little bit confusing people have, you know, gotten used to staying home, um, you know, so they're not as keen on going out. Some people are, you know, I was, you know, up until New Orleans, I feel like even when I would go to shows, anytime I'd be at an indoor show or at a concert, any person that would be talking to me, I'd just be thinking about all the different ways they could have contracted COVID in the last seven days. And I'd, I'd have this deep rooted anxiety until I feel like I went down to new Orleans was kind of immersed into it. It was like immersion therapy where you're just in these packed clubs. And I just finally felt like it, you know, that fear and that anxiety kind of, you know, went away for the first time. And I I have to imagine that other people feel the same way too, you know, like there, there is going to be a little bit of time before people feel fully comfortable going out to concerts and shows, so I'm a little, little, you know, a little hesitant to say, you know, we're we're headed for a huge 2022 summer and fall. I hope so, but I think it's going to take a little bit of time for people to get used to the idea of, you know, going out and seeing live music and. I, I I also feel like the FOMO is gone for a lot of people. People don't feel like if I don't go to this show, you know, I'm going to miss this massive, you know, life event, you know, because they've experienced life at home and they've realized that, you know, your friends, your family, your health, that also constitutes what life is. So it's this balance that people are trying to, find and play with and I think the music industry is trying to you know adjust to that right now before figuring out what the next trend is and nfts I just I don't understand them so I'm not going to talk I'm not going to speak on them um and I it's it's just a world that I haven't allowed myself to really delve into I probably making a mistake by by not doing that but for for right now I'm fo- trying to focus on you know, Getting our shows and our events back to where they were, and creating new ones in the process, like we did in New Orleans.
1: You, you, and you mentioned your wife Sarah uh, worked together. I'd I'd love to hear you speak on the nuances uh, of working with your partner, <laughs> and, and really what this has taught you.
0: well, well at first uh, we we decided that we weren't going to you know ever work together. I think we were. On the way to some sort of festival or some sort of event and you know I had these email blasts that needed to go out and I was like shit because I was driving I didn't know what to do and she's like, well, you know I can handle that took over the laptop, rearranged and changed everything to how it probably should have been and you know quickly I realized you know she already had some experience um she had worked in headcount. She worked for a PR um, company. She, she interned at a, at a, at a different company in Brooklyn, a music company in Brooklyn. So she had a lot of experience in the field. You know, I just didn't want to cross that bridge, but that only lasted for, you know, a few months before everything that we did was pretty much intertwined. And the, the success and the growth of the company, you know, was directly due to both of us, you know, Joining forces and you know um, compounding on each other's um, strengths and making up for each other's weaknesses and you know I, don't, I think if we didn't work together the, our company wouldn't be where it is today. Um, there's definitely some parts where it gets a little bit tough because you know you want to ask a question about you know something that's going on work related the first thing that pops into your mind and. Usually you can't do that. You can't like you know call your coworker or Jim and be like, "Hey, uh, you know about that marketing report? How's sales for X, Y, and Z doing?" But you know if you turn over on the couch or roll over at that and you ask your wife, you know, uh, "How are sales on this show doing at 11 or 12 p.m.?" A.m., a.m., she's not gonna be too happy. Uh, Finding that work-life balance was was tough for us, but I think um, we finally figured it out. We moved from a one-bedroom uh, apartment in Brooklyn to a house in Colorado, so I think that helps because we have different floors now. Um, but uh, yeah, it's not easy. It's not for everyone, but if you find the right person, it 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 works really, really well.
1: Mm shout out to Katie Daly, the podcast producer, by the way. I want to, I want you to take me back to that beginning part of your career where you're like, okay, I'm going all in on live for live music. And just like what that was like for you.
0: Well, I don't know. I, it's hard to tell exactly when that happened. Um, at first, you know, we didn't even have a website. We had a facebook page and back in the day you could make these things on facebook called notes and we would write our reviews on notes and i had a point and shoot dslr camera that i'd bought and so we i I would you know i had different partners um chris meyer and, uh, and justin charles two of my you know very good friends who you know they would They would sometimes they would write the articles and I would go out and shoot them. And then we would put them into, you know, um, our Facebook notes and, and that's when social media, you would get a lot of traction on anything that went up and slowly the, the brand started to build. We had another friend of mine, Ian, who created our website um, from, you know, from scratch. Uh, and then, you know, it's slow it it's slowly but quickly built into this thing before we realized what was happening. At first, we were just trying to go to concerts for free, you know, cover them. You know, we didn't have a huge mission statement except for what the company's namesake was, which is live for live music. That's all we were trying to do. We were just trying to see as much live music possible in, you know. As much as possible you know and it was just uh it was it was just a crazy ride in the beginning because it was just like trying to find all the shows that we wanted to go to look up the you know the pr contacts find uh you know um reach out via email you know it was was the golden age of blogs at the time as well so we were we were lucky to come up in that time um and we would just write and cover things that we wanted to see and that ranged from everything from you know a million fish concerts to you know random EDM shows and to the point where i think in our like second or third year we were both covering or we went on an entire fish tour but also somehow a partner with ultra music festival a media partner with ultra music festival so we we would just it was whatever we um had wanted to go see at the time we we would go out and cover and then eventually you know smaller festivals would reach out to us to ask us to promote their events so we would start doing that and then bigger companies like live nation and ag would start reaching out um independent promoters there was you know back then there were a lot more independent promoters and independent smaller festivals especially in the northeast they would reach out and eventually we were just, you know, we were doing a lot of marketing for these events, but then realized that after being to a lot, a lot of these events, we wanted to produce and curate some of our own. Um, so we started to produce our own shows, uh, some some late night shows here and there. Um, and then we, me and my partner, both simultaneously after going to New Orleans had this idea of, you know, Frenchman Street in New Orleans is a very special place. You can go into, you know, the Blue Nile, Maison, DBA, any one of these like amazing clubs and see incredible musicians play incredible music. And for one day in Brooklyn, we wanted to curate that same vibe. And we were like, there's so many venues that are so close to each other. And I think it was like the Music Hall of Williamsburg, uh, the Brooklyn Bowl. There's this venue called the Hall at MP that shut down. Um, and we, we, created a, we created Brooklyn Comes Alive, where we would basically, you know, it was fun for me because I would create 15 bands or, you know, work with musicians to create 15 bands that have never been bands before. And we would put them in three different venues. They would all be playing at the same time, so you would have to curate them so that no band was so much more appealing in draw than the other one, so that you wouldn't have 2,000 people go to one venue and get shut out. So for one day in Brooklyn, you would get a wristband and you'd be able to go bounce between three venues and see all these awesome different super kind of like you can do on Frenchman street in new Orleans. And that's where the idea for Brooklyn comes alive came along. And, Mm. you know, from that, you know, just more and more events, you know, started to, we started to produce more and more events and, you know, here we are still trying to figure it out.
1: Can you describe your leadership style with live for live music? And then part B can, with the band you've managed in the past, can you describe how leadership with the band might be different?
0: I would say my leadership style in the beginning was definitely one where I I feel like it came from um, more of an anxious place uh, where I would be worried about every little thing that could go wrong, everything that maybe an employee was doing wrong and not really focusing on all the amazing things that were happening within the company. Um, Whereas now I've learned to really trust the people that, you know, have really made this company what it is and brought it to where it is now. So I kind of let the heads of each department kind of do their thing while I try to focus on um, putting together different events and new events. Um, And, you know, we'll run down um, marketing and editorial um, meetings, whereas I focus more on the production. Um, my wife Sarah focuses on the marketing, we have a great editor Andrew O'Brien who focuses on the editorial team, and we have an amazing editorial team. Um, so there's a lot of aspects to the company, but I, I think my leadership style has shifted towards more trusting the people in charge of their respective departments to do what they, were, you know, what they are meant to do. And I think the same applies to bands, you know, it's just uh, when it's tough, cause in bands as well as companies, you you sometimes you need the one person that's going to go, you know, above and beyond and do the things that aren't music related, like creating the logos, talking to the agents, talking to the managers, figuring out band budgets. Um, but sometimes that causes a little bit of friction between the other bandmates who are also just wanting to play music and be in a band. And, you know, it's tough when you take on so much responsibility as the band leader, you know, you have to learn to also trust and delegate certain responsibilities to your bandmates. Otherwise you're gonna start to grow resentful. Um, And it's just a, it's a tough way to operate as a band leader in my opinion is, is, you know, where, where you've taken on all the responsibility and you start to feel like it, all the success and all the failure is, is, you know, due to your direct actions and not the music that's being played on stage.
1: Mm. Right on. Earlier, we touched on, on your deep admiration for improvisational music. Uh, as you know, I share this deep admiration, I, I'd love to hear from you, like what like life lessons or things you've picked up from kind of the, the philosophy of jazz, of improvisational music that, that you think apply to life in general, like outside of music.
0: So I think when, um, you know, a lot of people go to concerts, right? They're, they're going to a show to kind of internally in their mind, sing karaoke to a specific chorus, um, songs they've known from their past, you know, and and, it, and it's, it touches on a bit of nostalgia. Where I think what's cool about improvisational music and the genre that we, you know, we love is you're kind of letting go. You're letting go and letting these musicians create and craft something new on stage that they don't even know what they're going to do so your mind kind of releases this idea of what the world is supposed to be and you're just kind of accepting what is you know and i think it's a really cool metaphor on how to you know embrace life instead of trying to like you know take every lesson from your past and you know apply it to the now sometimes it's just you know a a better sometimes it's better just to, to, to let things be as is, And and I think that's kind of as a listener of improvisational music, I know it's different from the, the players on stage and I can't speak to that, but for, for me, as someone who's listening, it kind of puts me in a meditative state where I'm just accepting this new music come together live in front of me, you know, in a way that I, am not expecting, nor do I, do I want to expect it, you know? And I think those are the coolest moments where you're, you're not looking for the, a band to do something a certain way. It's when they wow you with something that's new, unexpected, but also tasteful and delightful and beautiful and, you know, in all the different various ways.
1: You said it. <laughs> I'd love to hear some books you've read. You know, along your path of of becoming who you are, that have just stuck with you as being like completely like influential or inspirational, impactful for you. Whether it's like a fictional book or or a nonfiction book, where you tangibly learned something, like any book recommendations, I would love to hear.
0: Okay, so I got three. Um, One, I actually I listened to it as an audio book, and this is for people in the music industry. Uh, I'm not a big Foo Fighters guy. They did do our Georgia a uh, comes alive festival. And I think they're an incredibly talented band, but before reading this book, I wasn't like a diehard Foo Fighters, um, fan, uh, but listening to the Dave roll audiobook. Uh, my wife had put it on. We were actually in Africa in December. Um, and she, she was listening to it and she was a, a chapter or two or three, maybe in. And I was just like, ah, oh, can we shut it down this background noise? You know, like, this is kind of annoying. I'm trying to write. I'm trying to read my own books. And, you know, about a chapter in, I, I just got hooked. And him navigating the music industry is was a really cool, insightful, you know, um, a memoir of popular music today. And, you know, how he Dave Grohl has integrated himself into, I mean, he's played for like two or three presidents. He's, you know, he'll have Paul McCartney come to his house. He's in the background and in the forefront of so many musical happenings that I didn't know he was a part of, and it's just really cool and to hear and see. And it's not only his time with, you know, Nirvana. It's it's a a really cool story of everything after that. So that's that's one um, in the in the music industry. Uh, for, um, for listening. I think it's a great book to listen to because he tells the stories really great, but also to read. Um, personally, books that have changed my life, there's also this book called The Book of Joy, which is, uh, it's written about this encounter between two good friends, um, the Dalai Lama and um, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who recently passed away. And these two people who come from these incredibly tough circumstances, you know, um, Dalai Lama was exiled from his home. Desmond Tutu grew up in apartheid. Um, And they've managed to become two of the most joyful, happy people. And they share this amazing friendship and they basically, you know, go through the, these pillars of joy, that I I try to embody um, on a daily basis, and I learned a lot from that book, um, the Book of Joy. Great book. Uh, um, and then uh, the Untethered Soul by Michael Singer is another book that kind of changed the way I think a little bit. Um, yeah, but those are definitely two books that changed how I um, see the world. Um, uh, from a more spiritual and emotional and personal level. Um, but if you want some cool rock and roll history, go listen to the Dave Grohl audiobook.
1: Hell yeah. Well, Kunch, starting to wrap up here, man. Thank you so much for coming on, for sharing, you know, the lessons you've learned and all, and all this good stuff. If there's one lesson or takeaway from your story, your journey, what you've been through, what you're all about, what would you say that is?
0: one lesson would be that there's always going to be ups and downs and to just you know sometimes you just have to wait for it you know i i feel like there's points in my career where i thought things were never going to come back um the pandemic was one of them uh you know we we ended up completely pivoting and doing these um these these live music streams and ended up raising about a half a million dollars for nonprofits and charity but maybe two or three weeks before that idea even came up i wasn't sure the company was going to survive you know um so just to remind myself that you know there's always going to be ups and downs and to stay the course because at the end of the day it really is really really rewarding um, I, I recently exper- had a, that cathartic release in, in New Orleans at Jazz Fest where right before I was like, huh, I don't know how much longer I could keep doing this. Right. Like this is this is a lot. Um, and I can I, I remember being at one of these shows and, you know, to, turning to my wife at maybe two, three a.m. We had some shows that didn't even start till two thirty, three a.m., um, and just say just saying to her, I want to do this for the rest of my life. You know, I can't imagine doing anything else. So, you know, one lesson that I'm, I, I, I I've learned, but also want to keep learning is to just stay the course and, and remember that there's always going to be ups and downs.
1: Mm. Well, there you have it. Kun Shah. He's one of the guys making this whole scene happen. Kun, thank you like friends being i made at your shows all this good stuff like uh rising tides lift all ships and uh man you're you're a big part of those tides rising so big shout out to you everyone out there buy those tickets check out the live for live music events coming up all year comes alive fool's paradise uh yeah kunch any final words for anyone who's listened this far
0: no, just go see go see live music. You know, uh, uh, local venues, musicians. Everyone, everyone could uh, could use use the help.
1: Well, if you made it this far, thank you for tuning in. Big shout out to our sponsor Thrax. Check them out if you're looking for some incredibly high quality CBD and THC gummies. Also, big shout out to J&J Distribution. Retailers, check out their brands Cushburst, Burst, Death by Gummy Bears, and Compassionate Buds. Also, big shout out to SEM Tickets. If you're throwing events and you're looking for a reliable ticketing source that's well-priced, look no further, got links in the description. Much love, y'all.